Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Virginia coming off a loss and Virginia Tech coming off a win face big weekend tests before the two of them hook up in Blacksburg. We'll talk about that and how good really is the ACC this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 135 of Teal and Barber, our Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite pods. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 15-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, happy Valentine's Day, my friend. And to you, Mike. So how... uh, how do you all celebrate Valentine's Day at your house? Is is it an important holiday or is it a, a Hallmark made up one that, that gets kind of skipped over? The only, Jill and I have agreed that given the price of greetings greeting cards, that the only one who gets a Valentine in our house is Tiny Teal. Now, there are some some candy and some sweet treats exchanged, but otherwise, it's a pretty routine day i'm gonna gamble here and hope that elizabeth doesn't listen to this episode (laughs) when we first started dating i had bought her a gift i can't remember what it was but i i got her a card and it was a a mushy sappy kind of you know lovey card and and she mocked it so so (laughs) good for her (laughs) yeah you still wear the scars huh it's i have not bought her a card since then that was before we were married uh, occasionally i'll do a little handwritten note uh, but most yeah. of, sometimes it's the, a scrap of you know christmas it's a scrap of wrapping paper that i fold over and says dear xmas inside love mike yeah. but uh now that that was the end of greeting cards now she is a big sweet tooth chocolate person um so we do that and and the kids i like uh i'm a food guy as you are probably aware uh so this morning, say. yeah. So this morning, I got up and I did a big Valentine's breakfast for the kids. I did heart-shaped pancakes and bacon and go. sausage and strawberries. And uh, I just got back from the store actually, as we record this morning, and I was picking up surf and turf. I'll do for dinner. We got lobster tails and scallop and filet mignon. So uh, to me, that's that's when you get to a certain point, and it's uh, fewer stuffed teddy bears and and heart-shaped boxes and and more uh, <laughs> steak and lobster tails. I think lobster tails. I'll be right over. Yeah, I should I should have picked up a little more. You're always welcome. Uh, well, David, it, it was uh, Virginia not really feeling the love last night at, at JPJ. Uh, they had the longest home winning streak in the nation. They had an eight game win streak in the ACC. They had gone 48 games without allowing a conference opponent to break 70 points against them uh, at JPJ. All of that came crashing down Pittsburgh. Very impressively, 14 three-pointers, a big game from Blake Hinson. So all those streaks ended. Pitt looked pretty darn good. Virginia looked a little shaky defensively for the second straight outing. They weren't great at Florida State. David, what were your major takeaways? Pitt, Mike, I thought it was a whole lot more about Pitt than Virginia. And I, I hey, look, I, I get Tony Bennett. He was not happy about some ball screen defense. 
He was especially not very happy about an 11-3 to deficit on the offensive boards that ended up skewing second-chance points 13-2 to in, in favor of the Panthers. But overarching, this was about a pit team for the second time this season going into the Lions' den, the first time at Cameron, and then last night at JPJ, and taking down a team with a great home court advantage. You know, I, I went back and, and did a little further research this morning. Pitt's 14 threes last night, the most against Virginia since Carson Edwards and the boys made 14 in that Elite Eight game between Purdue and UVA in 2019. Carson Edwards was so good in that game in Louisville that even though the the miraculous ending for Virginia, I still kind of call it the Carson Edwards game, right? I mean, Virginia wins that thriller with Mamadi's shot, Kihei saving the ball. I still, you know, we're talking, oh yeah, the Carson Edwards game because uh, he was unreal. And, um, you know, Virginia found a way to win that one. They found a way to win Florida State. They did not find a way to win Saturday. I thought it was interesting, two things. Last night. Last they night. Did, they did find they did. a way to win Saturday. <laughs> Saturday was Florida State. Tuesday, Tuesday, right? We're good now. Tuesday yes. was Pittsburgh. They did not find a way to get it done there. Uh, it was interesting. Two things. Number one, I thought Pitt took control of the game in a very short stretch when Reese Beekman went to the bench with his third foul. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a dominant run, but it was the moment where they kind of retook the lead, refound their footing, kind of put a stop to a little bit of Virginia's momentum. Um, again, it, it wasn't you know twenty four nothing blow you out. But I thought that that time that Beekman, who played phenomenally again, the time that he was on the bench, I thought that really allowed Pitt to kind of take control of things. I, I agree with you. And during that little spurt, Mike, I believe Jeff Capel used one of his timeouts. And I think the mark of a good team is responding well to timeouts and what the coach is telling them. And twice last night, the Panthers did exactly that and was was just really impressed with how prepared they were, how poised they were when the crowd tried to get Virginia back in it. Blake Henson, I mean, I mean, you shouldn't be surprised the guy went seven for seven from deep at Cameron and stood on the press table. So you you, you know he's got onions, and he showed him again last night. You know, I thought what was most impressive, he didn't get off to a great shooting start. He played he well early, penetration, moving the ball, but he finished 11 for 19, 5 for 13 from three, 27 points. Uh, he he was unafraid. He was undeterred by early struggles. And I think it goes to your point about Capel. Uh, in those timeouts, that was one of the messages, right, was stick with it. Keep doing what, what mm-hmm. you were doing. Uh, I, I thought they, they did a marvelous job of spreading the floor, the pick-and-pop threes. Uh, yes. They just look really good. We're going to talk more because you wrote a column this morning. We're going to talk more about that after the break, what this means for the ACC. How good could Pitt be? How good is this conference? Looking at Virginia specifically, though. Sure. David, like I said, two kind of shaky defensive outings in a row. They win one. They lose one. How concerned are we that Virginia is regressing? And how much is this just, hey, those were two games that, that weren't their best? Mike, I always lean toward Virginia and Tony Bennett figuring out defensively. To me, the good news, if you're a Virginia fan, is that they've played really well offensively in in two consecutive years. Mike, they shot 50% last night and committed five turnovers. And lost. And, 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 and lost by 11. Yeah. And, and now, 
hey, I get it. You, you can't get outscored by 30 points beyond the arc, and they only made four and only attempted 14 last night. I thought that was one of Pitt's most effective defensive targets. They ran Isaac McNeely off that three-point line. After what he did at FSU, they were not going to let him beat them. And now he he got a very quiet, efficient 15. Was it 15? Yeah. Yeah. But he, he didn't beat them and i think that was their primary defensive aim yeah i think one of the things that was impressive to me about pittsburgh having seen so many teams try to defend virginia so many different ways right yes they they ran mcneely off the line yes they didn't let him get going yes they contested his threes but they didn't lose jake groves they didn't lose Beekman for three. Like it was their entire perimeter defense. We've seen so many teams maybe sell out on McNeely and then just get beat by other guys, whether it's Groves or Beekman. Beekman had success going to the rim, but yes. Pitt definitely came out and you you made fun of me last night, but three is more than two. <laughs> and Pitt came out and, and they pretty much were yeah. saying, Hey, we're gonna take threes, we're gonna force you to take twos. And if we make ours, we're going to beat you and, and make them they did and beat them they did. Yes. No, it, you you can't trade twos for threes. It, it'll, like you said, it'll get you beat every time. And that's essentially what happened to the Cavaliers last night and, and sets up, you know, you talk about a team that can bang threes now. <laughs> Hello, Saturday at JPJ, who comes calling, but Wake Forest. And then, and and we'll get into this. And then on Monday, another team that can bang threes, Virginia Tech. Yeah, I think you you hit on the most important point here. If if you're a Virginia fan and you're trying to decide if you should be on the ledge or not this morning, uh, (laughs) if Virginia was struggling to figure out offense, I'd say, uh uh-oh. Yes. Here comes a losing streak. If you're telling me, hey, Tony Bennett's got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to get this defense right. I, yeah. I think you're going to roll with those odds. Now, it is it is an interesting timing because Wake Forest hit 10 three-pointers in the first meeting when they beat Virginia uh, uh, down there in Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech with Couture and Padula, they can really rain threes. So if they don't get it figured out, this could spiral. But mm-hmm. to your point, I, I, I'm with you. I like their odds. It, it is an interesting stretch if you're struggling with three-point defense to then get Wake and, and Virginia Tech back-to-back. It is uh, the latest cruel turn in the in the schedule if you're Virginia. It is, but uh, hey, you know they're they're home Saturday, a, a, a chance to get back on track, and then you know head to Blacksburg for Big Monday. Big Monday and Virginia Tech was streaking the other direction, right? Virginia had won eight in a row. Virginia had lost three, but it started to feel like. Maybe this thing was just going to get away from them. They bounced back with a strong win uh, yesterday over Florida State, That the late-night game, for, for those of you who who didn't stay up for it. Uh, they hit 11 three-pointers. Hunter Couture was particularly good. Tyler Nickel, I thought, gave them yeah. a huge lift mm-hmm. off the bench. thought he was key. My man crush, Lynn Kidd, he finished with a double-double. Fif- you know, 15 boards, man. And David, when I tuned into that game, I think he had two or four points and 12 rebounds. So uh, he, he got some scores late down the stretch. But the thing that we've been banging on, right, Sean Padula and the turnovers, when he goes over six, they were two and six this season. He only had four turnovers last night, four assists, four turnovers. He was a little more under control. Uh he had a few that, that could have been turnovers that were deflected in, in the time mm-hmm. I was watching. But uh David, all in all, an encouraging win and an encouraging bounce back from a team that was kind of teetering right there and 
Mike, the number four free throw shooting team in the country, knocked down, what, 28 of 32 from the line last night? That'll win you a lot of games. I didn't see any of it. I was driving home, but I was listening to Zach and Mike do, do the call on radio. It sounded ragged, just foul after foul and trips to the free throw line. And what Padula was 13 for 14 in, in that range. He's, he's a great free throw shooter because he didn't, he didn't shoot it well from the field and, st- and still ended up with 19 points. And, and then how about this? A season high 20 for Hunter Couture. Doesn't it feel like that guy can get 20 in his sleep? I read that this morning, and I'm like, wait a second. He hasn't had 20 all season, but sure enough, he had not. It is the thing that gives me hope for this tech team, is we saw Padula have that that huge stretch, right? The three straight over 30. Um, I think that's what it was. He was just outstanding in that stretch. Couture hasn't done that yet, and and he's capable, right? We've seen it in an ACC tournament, how capable he is. So if you're Virginia Tech, you've got to feel like, that's still there in his senior year. And if it can be a, a stretch of games, and they've got a stretch of games coming up here to prove themselves with yes, uh, at Carolina, then as you mentioned, home for Big Monday in Virginia, uh, boy, wouldn't that be a good time for Hunter Couture to, to make his mark? Uh, that's why I think there's there's still some hope out there if you're the Hokies. No, there absolutely is. And Mike, I, it, it it doesn't end with, with Big Monday because then don't they go to Pittsburgh? Yep. Is that right? Do I have the schedule right? I do. Yeah, then the, then they go to Pitt and and then they go to Syracuse back to back on on a short turnaround and then come home and play Wake. Yeah, and Syracuse just beat Carolina and, and mm-hmm. again we're going to get into this after the break and and you know national guys cover your ears but the truth is the ACC is pretty darn good. There there aren't a lot of breaks in the, in the schedule and um you know Virginia Tech is heading into a tough stretch. That's why I thought, David, the win last night was so important. Uh, Florida State's decent, right? They're a good team. They're not a great team. Uh, you're playing at home. I thought Virginia Tech had to have that game. You referenced had yeah, to have it. Absolutely. And you referenced ugly, but, and we always say this, right? If you're going to play ugly, it's better to win ugly than lose ugly. Yes. And and your boy Jameer Watkins for Florida State had him at game two. He did, and he missed a bunch of time with foul trouble because I don't know how many times last night on the broadcast they said, how long can you keep Jameer Watkins on the bench? And, uh, you know, that, that was a big part. He has been – I had a chance to catch up with him uh, before the, the UVA game, and, and he right. has been just a huge impact guy at Florida State. And Leonard Hamilton pointed out, in every way, offensively, defensively, his work on the glass, moving the basketball, uh, they've got a few transfers on that team. Like they remade that roster, but he has come in and, and become the star of that team. And uh, he almost was the reason that they, they were able to win in Blacksburg last night. 26 points, four assists, two steals, seven of nine from the floor, three of three from deep, nine of 11 from the line. Man, that's efficient. That is off the hook efficient. Yeah. And, and you almost feel like if you're, if you're Leonard Hamilton, you're saying, Hey, nudge him a little bit. You, you could take a few more shots, right? Like, I mean, he's so in the flow of the offense, and that's a great thing. But uh, he is to me their, their their best player, clearly. And you almost wish he would he would do a little more in terms of taking over. And uh, not, not that I'm saying don't play within the system, but uh, kind of realize how good you are. Because you know, at VCU when he was younger, he was in a role and, and he played it well, and, and it was impressive and encouraging. And, and certainly, they wanted to hold on to him. But at Florida State, I, I, to me, he's the guy. Yeah, and and in Florida State, 
in in a similar way lost like Virginia. Florida State shot 53% last night. Now, the problem was Seminoles committed 13 turnovers to only 11 for for Virginia Tech. Uh, And they got out-rebounded just like Virginia. Got out-rebounded on the offensive glass 13-6. to And your boy, Lynn Kidd, six of his 15 boards last night were on the offensive end. That's big. You have a possession that you defend well, and then you have to do it again. I don't care who you are. That's that's a tough ask. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about the rest of this conference. And, David, we're going to look at the fact that they're not getting a lot of respect, but maybe maybe they should be. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back. Remember, you can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. David, we used to do that Who You Got segment and I'm going to bring it back for this right now. These teams are going to meet Monday night. I know they have games Saturday. Who you got, Tech and Virginia? Who's the better team, and who wins that game in Blacksburg? Might be two different answers. Yeah, I think Virginia's better. Uh, it, it's it's hard to predict the game when there's a game before it, and you don't know how the two teams are going to fare because we're influenced by recency bias. In rivalry games, I tend to lean toward home teams and desperate teams. Yep. And I think Virginia Tech fits the bill <laughs> in in both regards there. So I will lean Hokies Monday night in Blacksburg. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not so much recency bias, but it's the it's the data point of tell me how Virginia defends the three against Wake Forest, yeah. and I'll tell you who wins. Monday night. I, I'm inclined to believe that Virginia defensively bounce ba- bounces back. I think they're more likely to lose the Wake game than the Tech game, actually. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, and, and I do think they'll bounce back defensively. I just think I think Wake's really good, and we're about to talk about that. I think Wake is is the real deal. Uh, Virginia Tech to me is still a little flawed, and, and that pack line defense against Sean Padula. I thought I think it was Leonard Hamilton who, who made a really great point in terms of how you approach Padula and, and how you do it in terms of taking away the site sight lines, taking yes. away his passing lanes. That is a good, that is a good point. And I think when you, when you think about it, he's not, a, you know, people want to, he's not coming down and just throwing the ball into the stands. He's coming down and trying to make a pass and he's not seeing a hand in the lane, a face in the lane, a body in the lane. I, I think the pack line is designed for that. So I, I don't like the Padula versus the pack matchup. That's why I give Virginia the, the edge there. Um, I do think they're the better team, but I think you're absolutely right that if Virginia Tech is going to make something of this season, I, I think they win that game at, at home. And I just don't know if they are or they are not. Yeah, I, you know, it was it was an interesting game the, the, the first time the, the teams met at, at, at JPJ. Um, that was you know, was that before the Jordan Minor emergence? And, Correct. And th- yes. So that 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 will be interesting to monitor. You know, Virginia went small for a good bit of last night because of Pitt, and now does Virginia Tech go small? You know, they very well much 
they very well could, but my guess is, you know, we'll see a lot of Lynn Kidd, and in that case, we'll see a lot of Jordan Minor and Blake Buchanan. Yeah, well, Kidd and Melijah Poteet, that is. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how the coaches choose to do that. You know, it's funny. We went into the first meeting, and I was all over Virginia Tech. I thought they were going to win big. I, I was writing off UVA. Uh, I was premature on both fronts, clearly. Uh, so. <laughs> So take my predictions for this one, I guess, with a grain a grain of salt. But how about the ACC overall, David? Sure. If, if you haven't had a chance to read uh, David's column, it's up now at Richmond.com. But you, you, we were sitting there last night, and, and we both had the same thought, that people are going to say, hey, Virginia tripped up, Virginia slipped up, I, I, instead of, hey, Pitt's pretty damn good, and the ACC's for real. David, how good is, is the ACC right now? It is pretty damn good. It's not vintage. This this is not 2019 when Virginia, Duke, and Carolina were number one seeds. I get that. And I understand that only five teams made the field in each of the last two years, which is far below what the ACC is accustomed to. But this notion, and you know, we we referenced this a couple of weeks ago. The ACC is not getting three teams in the tournament this year. They're getting more than that. Now, is it four? Is it five? Is it six? I don't know. But the ACC is, number one, it's demonstrably better than a year ago when the bottom was so bad. It's not this season. Louisville, yeah. Georgia Tech, yeah. The rest of them are pretty darn good. And I think we saw it last night, not only with Pitt, but with Syracuse. And you mentioned Wake. If Efton Reed stays out of foul trouble, they are a serious problem. And that's what killed him at Duke is he got in early foul trouble and then they have issues with Filipowski and it, it just, they, they never were quite right at, at Cameron on Monday. But the ACC, well, last I checked on the net, had what, five or six teams in the, six teams in the top 40? So they've got two in the top 20 in Carolina at Duke. Then you have Clemson at 29. You have Virginia at 41, Pitt at 53, and Tep Tech at 60. Okay. So, so what does that equal? One, two, three, four in the top 41, five in the top 50, and six in the top 60. Yeah. And heck, Pitt made the field last year with a net in the 60s. Uh, Pitt and Arizona State were the lowest ranked uh, net teams uh to make to make the tournament my part of this is the net and i'm going to write about this either later in the week or early next week and i'm not going to delve too deep into the numbers but the big 12 is a claim as god's gift to college basketball right now and hey big 12's got some teams now but the big 12 went three and nine against the acc during the non-conference season and the Big 12 overall played terrible non-conference schedules. I mean, terrible. Ranked 250 and below in strength of schedule. And what they did, now whether this is intentional or not, we'll never know. We know. It's intentional. <laughs> but these teams went out and crushed those non-conference opponents. And what does that do? That fattens up your efficiency ratings offensively and defensively. And that inflates your net. So when the conference season starts, you're all sitting there in the top 20. God is good. Life is great. And then you start playing one another. Your advantage is already baked in and it just feeds upon itself. Oh my God, the Big 12 is so deep. There's not an off night. Well, the ACC is being punished 
for having played more difficult non-conference schedules. Now, could they have won more of those games? Hell yeah. One of the things holding back Pitt is a ghastly home loss to Missouri in who the ACC. Missouri SEC who can't beat, can't beat anybody now. They're over in the SEC last I checked. If they yeah, won a conference, no. I don't. I don't believe they have. So, you know, that loss for Pitt is is an absolute anvil right now on its NCAA tournament ambitions. But overall, you know, the, the, the league acquitted itself fairly well in, in, in the non-conference. You know, you look at Syracuse, all nine of Syracuse losses are against top 100 opponents. Seven of those losses are against top 40 opponents. It's not like they're losing to chumps. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on to to the the big problem with the net right now is too much of your efficiency rating is based, isn't weighted out by strength of schedule, right? There's got to be a way to rate your efficiency based on strength of schedule. So it's not just how much you're scoring, how much you're giving up, how much your margin is. They've got to change it and weight it more so that either your conference games or your top hundred games, because it doesn't tell me anything about who you are if you beat a bad team by 30. And the fact that that is as influential in your efficiency rating as a two-point win over a quality team or a four-point loss to a quality team, uh, it, it is exactly what you're saying. It is skewing the net early, and then there's no way to get out of that. Um you know, ACC teams should be getting a lift playing other ACC teams. Instead, it's the Big 12 getting a lift playing other Big 12 teams, and it just doesn't add up. It doesn't match with what our eyes tell us. Yeah, and 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 now, Mike, it's become cool and trendy to to, to bash the the ACC on social, on TV, and it, it just feeds upon itself. The question I wrestle with is: Do we think? selection committee members are influenced by media narratives. If they are, I think it's malpractice because if if you're not paying attention or you're not confident enough in your own convictions, then what are you doing on the committee? If you're influenced by Jay Billis or Joe Lenardi or Mike Barber or me, that's stupid. Well, if you're influenced influenced by you, I think that's okay. But the (laughs) the other three are suspect. You know, for example, we, we were talking about the numbers. Just one example. BYU went 12-1 and one in the non-conference this year out of the Big 12. Nine of those 12 games are quad four games. You know what the average victory margin for the Cougars in those nine games was? 37 points. 37, dude. That'll inflate your efficiency ratings in a hurry. Of course. And and, and to your point, I, and I don't think committee members are influenced by somebody on TV saying, I don't think the ACC is that good this year. But here's where it matters. It matters in what is built up as big games, because I do think that committee members are like anybody else in terms of when they go to sit down in front of their television. What are you going to watch? And if the national narrative is that the ACC game isn't that good and the Big 12 game is the the game of the night, it's just human nature that you, I mean, we do it. You know, I, I gravitate certainly towards the ACC because I cover it. Mm-hmm. But on, on a given night, when I look at the schedule, I think, what game do I want to watch? And a lot of what I'm basing that on is 
What is the perceived big game? So that's where I, I think, I don't think people realize that North Carolina Syracuse last night was a high quality big game that you should have tuned in to watch. I, I don't think people understood that Virginia Pitt was as good a game as there is on the schedule this week. Pitt at Virginia was a great college basketball matchup. Uh, that's where I, I think it hurts, where they don't get the hype. And because they don't get the hype, maybe that's not where your eyes are, which means it, it kind of reminds me of the political. We talk about being in a political bubble, and sometimes you don't hear the facts you need because you're watching a certain channel and they're not showing you the facts. Well, if you don't tune in to watch Virginia play Pitt, you don't realize how damn good those two teams are. Right. And Mike, what happened the other night when Texas Tech absolutely smashed Kansas? Was that an indictment of Kansas? Oh, no. Look how it's deep. the. Look at the Big 12. Look how deep the Big 12 is that even Texas Tech can go do that to Kansas, which is maybe fair, maybe not, but it should be applied evenly when you talk about the ACC. And and that's, I think, the, the, the big question and, and the big problem. So, David, as we sit here uh, on Valentine's Day, all, all warm feeling with the love, where are you in terms of how many teams at the end from the <laughs> ACC make this, this tournament? How many are... are are getting a Valentine and how many are having their, their bubbles burst Clemson Duke in North Carolina. You are, at least I am extremely confident about Clemson is last week was huge. Absolutely. For, for the time. My goodness, going to Carolina, going to Syracuse, w- winning those two absolutely immense for Brad Brownell's group. They're fine. They're going to be in the tournament. I think Virginia is going to be fine. They're going to be in the tournament. I think Wake Forest is going to get there. It's going to be, they have some challenging games, but I think they're going to get there. That's five. Can Virginia Tech, can Pitt, you know, can either, or I doubt both of them can can, can do it because of, number one, they play one oh. another. So that, that, that could very well be an elimination game. But uh, I think at least five, maybe maybe a half dozen. And and let's remember something else, Mike. The object isn't to get the most teams in the tournament. The object is to get your best teams in the tournament and have them advance. And oh, by the way, that's what the ACC does better than any conference. Yeah, I, I think the, the top and the middle of the ACC when it gets its chance in the NCAAs has proven itself. David, for all the belly aching that, that we're both doing about disrespect for the ACC, I look at what's left on the schedule and I say to myself, if you're Virginia, Clemson, Wake Forest, maybe Pitt and Virginia Tech, you control this, right? Yeah. I look at that schedule and as, as much as people want to say where we are now, it seems to me that those teams, if they take care of business down the stretch, will be in a good position. It's just if they wobble, it's just if they falter that they leave themselves. The other thing, David, is we went over the net numbers to start and, and what was it? Six in the top 60, I think we counted. That means when we get to Washington, D.C., there is going to be opportunities for those bubble teams, th- those teams on the edge, to get wins that matter. A- and I think that will be, I think this will be maybe more than any year that I've been on this beat. This will be a very pivotal ACC tournament for teams getting off the bubble and making the, the big dance. I think that's a really good point. But I would also rem- remind you that the committee, you know, the last 10 games used to be a huge deal for the committee. Not so much anymore. It's not even on the team sheets. Used to be a staple of team sheets. And it's it's now more 
the body of work. And that's why November and December is so flipping important for for these leagues and, and for these teams. You you've got to got to get fat during the non-conference, no matter who you're playing. And Mike, later today, I suspect we are going to learn how many teams are going to play in future ACC tournaments. The ACC winter meetings adjourned today in Charlotte. And I believe we're going to learn whether Jim Phillips gets his way. And as he told, as he foreshadowed in October, he doesn't think all 18 teams should go to future ACC tournaments because number one, it's unwieldy. Number two, you will expose your tournament contenders to unnecessary risk by playing bottom feeders in your league. And if they lose, it's a disaster. If they win, it does nothing. So I I think I strongly suspect that the ACC is going to follow the Big Ten's lead. Big Ten goes to 18 teams next year. They're only taking 15 to the tournament. Will the ACC keep it at 15? Will it go to 16? I don't know. But I'd be shocked if they st- if they take everyone to future tournaments. Everything about the current climate in college basketball says don't do that. Don't take all your teams to the tournament. Leave the it, bottom it, field. It, it, Absolutely. Yeah, if you're that, that big. Exactly. If you're that yeah. size. I hate it because my whole argument when people talk about expanding the NCAAs is everybody's got their shot in yep. their conference tournament. I don't want to see that go away. I think... I would love to see all the conferences take all their teams. As long as some of them aren't doing it, I think it only it makes sense to follow suit. But for the record, I, I want to bang the drum on this. I hate it. I think every team should play in their conference postseason because that's where your, your Cinderella runs come from. Mike, that amen you just heard was from all 18 ACC coaches next season because you are preaching to that choir. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't see it happening. A six day tournament is n- number one. It, it's, it's not great because your regular season ends on Saturday and then you're going to co- start the conference tournament on Monday. Right. That, that, you think nobody shows up on Tuesday at the ACC <laughs> tournament? Wait till you see or, the crowd. Or any conference tournament. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nobody is coming on, on Monday. You're going to have uh, Tuesday is already, what, what is it, school field trip day? They bring in all the kids. <laughs> You're going to have to have like like homeless shelter soup kitchen day <laughs> on Monday if you want bodies in the building for that. But uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. And then, you know, the competitor in me says, you know, tough luck, win. You know, if you're worried about this, the 18 team beating a top seed, tell the yeah. top seed not to lose that game. But to your point, too, the ACC is strong and you can lose to a quote-unquote bad ACC team. Uh, Business-wise, it makes no sense, but like I said, the the competitor in me kind of hates it. But well, we'll find out maybe today about the format. We'll I find out we will. over the next month uh, about where the ACC is going to stand going into March. It's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. We hope you had fun listening today. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 